This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Missouri Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. We're glad that you have joined us once again. As always, Pioneer Field Agronomists Jamie Farmer and Nick Monig and myself are excited to uh, bring you some content and expertise that will help you make some proactive management decisions throughout the growing season. So it's been super nice to see some action and excitement in the field. So we are ready to uh, bring you some timely reminders, some updates, and some mid-season considerations today. Before we get too far into it, I think it's a good place to uh, give a planting progress update. So Jamie, where are we at in your part of the world? Yeah, Abby, great question and welcome back folks. So for where we sit here on the 18th of May, at least in West Central Missouri, is we've got you know pretty much all the corn in uh, the first go around. So outside of a few straggling spots, wet holes, stuff like that. So we're probably 95% done on corn, which has been great. And then on the soybean side for first crop, for my area, the south part's really close to wrapping up. A lot of those guys, uh, the north part's still got a ways to go. So all in all, probably somewhere in that 70 to 80% range on beans over here in West Central Missouri. Feeling pretty good where we're at, considering we're in the middle of May and, and we're that far along. Just listening to some of our neighbors like, like Nick, you know. So Nick can give us a little bit different progress report maybe for what they're seeing on the east side. Yeah, Jamie, a little different story over here. But uh, luckily, we were blessed with the last week or so of some really good running. So... So corn-wise, kind of a different story between the central part of the state I cover and further to the east. We're in the central part. We're quite a ways along. We're just about to wrap that up, except for maybe a little bit of replant here or there. But then the further east, we slammed a bunch of corn in uh, the last seven days, last seven to ten days. So overall, we're probably pushing close to 75%, which is uh, sounds like we are behind. We are, but a long ways from where we were. 10 days ago where we hadn't hardly got anything done. And then as far as soybeans, we are, we've made a big push over the last few days. The central part that I cover, we, we've we pushed along. We're probably more than half there. But the further east we go, we got a few good days in. Some guys got a, a good weekend. We've pushed quite a ways. But overall, I'd just say my whole geography, probably less than half still on soybeans. Thanks, Nick. So it sounds like your guys are getting caught up. What growth stage or range of growth stages are we seeing right now, Jamie? Yeah, so for West Central Missouri, the farthest along would be V5 as we record this today. So, you know, by by early the week of May 23rd, uh, we'll have a lot of that starting to hit V6. So pretty far along on that Easter and pre-Easter corn. Then there's quite a bit of that that would have been planted in that later window that's in that like V2, V3 range. So majority of all the corn outside of that that was just planted here recently, uh, that last bit is is up and out of the ground and for the most part looks pretty good. And then if you think about soybean-wise, I've got anything from stuff putting on a trifoliate to others still trying to neck out of the ground as far as kind of where we're at from a growth stage standpoint. To the East side, Jamie, as far as corn, we have a ton that just got planted and or, and or just spiking through the ground. So a lot that's in a much smaller stage. We do have some central part of the state that was planted there the last week of April, like you're talking about, and that corn's V3. That tiny bit planted earlier in that, but for the most part, that's the, kind of the two windows for us. 
soybeans not a lot done we have stuff that just made it through like you said there's maybe some earlier stuff that's got trifolia but that's very very small and isolated most of them either coming through or just got planted or still in the bag so we've got some that's still in the bag as nick just mentioned and we've got some in that v4 growth stage Uh, what do these different stages mean for the crops we're chatting here yeah so i guess if i'll start you know on the farther along stuff for us so thinking about any of that stuff that's right there going into v3 that stuff's weaning off the seed and so that's why some of these guys in that earlier planted stuff have seen quite a bit of that yellowing look with the weather that we've had here recently with being saturated in places on that stuff that was v4 v5 so those plants at that leaf stage they're they're now forced to live off the seedling root system Uh, they'd been kind of nursing off the seed up until the third leaf so you can kind of get some differences on what you'll see with that sulfur striping just a product of the environment in some places uh, also could be some of the the product of the the soil type and what you've got for organic matter or or even what you've put out there from a sulfur fertility standpoint there's quite a bit of mesotrione that's used in corn in west central missouri too so with the weather that we've had in some of the heat, some of those guys spraying some of that stuff noticed uh, some bleaching or some pretty neon yellow fields out there. That's more of a product of a herbicide response. Should grow out of that just fine. I haven't seen anything that was burned to a level that I was concerned about. But that's kind of where we're at on on that stuff currently. Thinking about, you know, just kind of getting close to some of that ugly duckling stage on some of that corn you know, expect to see that up and down, especially if we were planting something that was a little less ideal as far as field fitness level goes. And then on the soybean side, I always think it's interesting. You get, you know, those plants out there, they've got that unifoliate leaf, that first true leaf that comes out. And then the very next leaf after that is a trifoliate. So if you think about just leaf petals in the field on the plant, you're pretty much going to double your surface area here. As, as a bunch of those put that trifoliate out. So it really fills the row in a lot, especially looking down the row. And then guys will kind of get out there and assess some of that, and they'll look at it perpendicular to the row and say, oh, well, the, you know, it may not be as full as what I thought. And so just encourage guys that if they're still trying to consider where they're at on a soybean stand or something like that, to hop in it and look at that. But uh, for the most part, that stuff's taken off, and it looks really good. Just a few pockets here and there on replant for it. Anything along those lines for you, Nick? Yeah, I think Jamie hit that very well. I mean, the the V3 plant, obviously, like you said, it's weaning itself off the seed. So there's not a lot to add there. I know there's some folks uh, really pushing for high yields. We'll start nursing that seed, especially with the micros at that stage. Something to think about if you want to be proactive, try something different this year. That would be one thing you could think about. The window's waning away on that one. Uh, the only other thing I was just going to add is looking at the forecast coming up. It looks like we have a nighttime low coming up over the weekend in the 40s. So just to Jamie's point about the yellow color and, you know, maybe even some purpling on top of that, we might see some change in the color of that corn. It's been humming along in the heat and the color has looked great for at an early stage. Being planted in the middle of May and high temperatures, everything looks great. And it may come to a screeching halt in terms of that dark green color when we get to this weekend. But I just thought that might be something to add. Otherwise, he's right. When we start hitting V5 or so, that plant's going to start moving to the nodal roots. You'll get that ugly duckling stage. Things a little look a little off. Yeah, that's a good point, Nick. Just looking ahead at the forecast there for that weekend right before, you know, what is it, the nightly low there Saturday, the 21st. So 
the purple corn syndrome is something that a lot of folks that have planted Pioneer for a while are, are aware of. So purpling on corn, some folks get a little worried because that can also indicate some other things, whether it's a herbicide injury response, um, injury to the root system that's causing a phosphorus deficiency response that can cause purpling too. But for us, for Pioneer and for its germplasm, there's a pretty good portion of our germplasm that has all eight of those pigment genes that you need. Majority of hybrids have five of the eight. They don't necessarily exhibit the purpling. There's a good chunk of Pioneer's genetics that have the other three to, to round out the full eight. And some of that is temperature sensitive as far as when those genes are expressed. And so Pioneer's done a ton of work uh, with, with various other folks too, university-wise, to show that there's no less chlorophyll in, in those plants the purpling is, is simply just a product of the genetics and the environment, and we don't see any yield difference between hybrids that exhibit purpling and those that don't at the end of the season uh, based on whether we see purpling or not. So it's not something that we should really get too concerned about, but the concern usually comes up, okay, is this purpling because of you know the genetics and the environment, or is there something else going on? So it's always encouraging to at least go out there and, and investigate a little bit. So it seems like there's uh, quite a bit of variability across what's going on in Nick's mind versus in Jamie's and the farmers that each of them associate with and such. So as far as the next week goes, what is, what's on your radar, Jamie? So for West Central Missouri, there's some stuff that we have targeted to possibly try to replant or spot into, which I hate doing in corn, but just, you know, from some scenarios that we had in pockets of my southern half of west central Missouri dealing with, you know, anywhere from four to ten inches of rain. So that replant scenario is something to to look at on the radar. Mother Nature keeps keeping us out of the field and that may to make the decision for us on how much of that we try to try to redo. On the bean side, there was quite a few bean fields out there that that suffered too. And really the main window of planting for me in that is that April twenty third through the twenty seventh. So anything planted kind of in that window, suffered some heavy rainfall there, saturated, warmer soil temps, things just didn't last as long underneath there. So just just still trying to assess and evaluate that. And then anything that was planted right before this rain, if we get some more of these rains that are forecasted, you know, we may stay saturated for a little bit. So just trying to get an idea of what we've got, you know, from a stand assessment standpoint. That'd probably be the first thing I'd consider. Nick, what's on your mind for next week? One of the many things, I'm sure. Yeah. So we're, you know, obviously still behind Jamie. So a lot of our decisions or thinking is still focused on uh, the early stages of management. So we still have to get the rest of our beans planted. We still have to get the rest of our corn planted. So obviously that is the focus. Outside of that, it is posting corn herbicide-wise. That's got to get done. Still uh, falling behind, trying to get all the burn down done on the soybeans, and that we can talk about that quickly in a little while. But mare's tail is getting really big, so that's going to become somewhat of a driver on how to do that. But those are the, those are the biggest things. And to Jamie's point, I didn't have as much as he did, but some of that corn planted that April twenty third through the for us probably the twenty eighth, and even a little bit on the morning of the 29th before it rained. For us, it wasn't so much the volume of rain. It's just the fact that we turned off into those 90 degrees, which is, you know, we set records in central Missouri for temperatures that week, just baked that crust off. And so it just crusted that corn in. 
a few guys able to use a rotary hoe on it to try to alleviate some of that, but not everybody has that piece of equipment anymore. And so that baked over and to his point, it's leaving for some shady stands and places. It doesn't appear to be everywhere. If we have residue on top, keep that top of that soil moist enough for that corn to get through. Seems to be all right. Certain soil types are right, but conventional till where it baked over hard looks a little rougher. So some of that's already been replanted. Um, some of it still thinking about replanting, but then obviously we still have some corn to plant the first time. We still had some fields not fit enough to plant yet or just couldn't get to them yet. And Jamie, I don't know if that's maybe something we want to get into now is just talking about the whole maturity piece if you still have some corn left to plant. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call out. So just thinking about, you know, obviously you're going to have more folks in this boat than I am, but I've got a few too. So, you know, folks ask the question, okay, when do we think about switching maturities for us here in Missouri? Um, there's some data that Pioneer's put together, several universities as well. Uh, for us, for the most part, that decision to switch from the really full season stuff. And so for me, that'd be like anything kind of that 116 and later type stuff. I probably start to look at next week as being, uh, you know, kind of the threshold to start to roll that back. And our data would show that too as kind of like the May 24th timing to try to go from the late full stuff and switch to the mid to early maturity stuff. As far as separation between the mid and the early stuff, so we've got some some of that same data that shows that we really don't see much separation in yield in those products um, or in those different maturity levels there. So thinking, you know, like kind of that 113 to 110 and then earlier than that, we don't see a lot of separation in that until even farther into June. So really that first 10 days of June, those are pretty pretty neck and neck. And unfortunately or fortunately, we've got a lot of experience with that. And I know Nick definitely has uh, the last four years. It seems like a lot of stuff planted pretty late. So that's just one of the call outs there, just thinking about that. We're sitting pretty good unless you're on that really full stuff. And again, that's that's kind of a loose guideline. The ground, the environment you plant into, what kind of management scenarios you run, whether you've got irrigation and what your harvest logistics look like. So, you know, some of that stuff on the fuller side, guys may be a little more apt to stick in it for just a touch more if the they're set up to dry grain and, you know, they're trying to spread out their harvest logistics that way too. So I guess just easy way to say it. there's a lot of variables going into that, but those are kind of some general guidelines, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think those are good. I mean, it lines up a lot with my thinking. I'm not afraid to I always say I'm not afraid to play in a 113 clear up until the first week of June or so. But obviously, like you said, depends on how much moisture you can handle. We've had luck with 111 day planted up till the 10th or 12th, 15th, even of June. But it seems like after you get past mid-June, then you really have to start thinking about shortening things a little bit more on the crazy side. But uh, like you said, it depends on how much moisture people want. And speaking of moisture with late corn, I guess one little plug, and we probably can talk about this later on in the summer, but you probably need to think about that fungicide application with the last couple of years we've had with that late planted corn. Just the southern rust has annihilated that stuff the last few years if you don't spray it. So that's something you better lock into management right now. Yeah, definitely plan for that. Just a lot easier chance of a return utilizing a fungicide on that later planted corn for sure. Um, something Nick mentioned there that I just thought we'd touch on, which would be the herbicide cutoff. So I'm racing towards a bunch of those, at least over here in West Central Missouri. So a couple to consider here right out of the gate would be products like Accent or Realm Q with a cutoff there at V6, which would get here pretty ricky tick. And then there's a boatload of herbicides that we use that cut off at that V8 or 30-inch timing there. So 
things like glyphosate, Laudis, Callisto, Atrazine, those kind of products that we think about from that standpoint. For most folks, we sit pretty good as far as getting our corn sprayed. I know there's some retailers that have struggled in some places trying to stay caught up with all of the things going on with the short windows they've had and, and definitely all the wind we dealt with in April. Um, just trying to get caught back up on some of that. So just be mindful. That's, you know, definitely something you want to keep an eye on is is not hurting your yield potential uh, by going too long on some of those growth stages, you know. So that's that's something that, that I would keep in mind as far as, you know, what Nick mentioned there. Just be aware of what you got from your herbicide program. Make sure you look at those cutoff dates. And then uh, there's definitely some, some scenarios where you may need to switch here uh, pretty soon. On the note of V6, tissue sampling is often a conversation around that growth stage. Do you want to touch on that, Jamie? Yeah, so for us, for years now, we've done quite a bit of tissue sampling work, especially in high-yield managed corn, you know, looking at stuff 275 bushels plus. So that first timing for us generally falls at that V6 timing. One is just ease in the planting season and when we could probably get in there and capture that. And two is we're switching that plant, like Nick mentioned earlier, to that permanent root system. And so that really kind of gets some of the noise that you can get as far as environmental things or um, living off the seed if you're too early. So now you've switched the nodal system, uh, you can start to kind of get an idea of what that plant's uh, suffering or, or where it's sitting as far as the nutrient level goes that's actually getting into it with that permanent root system. All right. Well, with all of that being said, while we're still kind of chatting about corn, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to touch on? Well, at least for me, so where we're farther along in West Central Missouri, thinking about next week, hitting V6, switching to the permanent root system, really start to consider targeting our side dress application. So we haven't necessarily lost a whole lot. So for the folks planning for their split applied nitrogen program, not necessarily needing to adjust that too much unless you're in one of these scenarios where we've got really great stands, stuff planted early, so your yield goal might actually be higher than what you thought going into the season. So you might want to adjust for that. But for me, at least in my experience, I like to be a little earlier than later. Seems like uh, we have more luck of getting more rainfall potential the earlier we are in the season when we side dress. So you've got, you know, thinking about what you're putting out there from a broadcast standpoint, you know, you're relying on Mother Nature to get that in the root zone. So trying to take advantage of the end of May, first part of June, rainfall scenarios are generally a little more likely than if we were to push it farther into the growing season and then the other part of that that equation for me would be okay relying on mother nature to get it down there in the root zone and then i need to have time to get it into the plant too you know and and move throughout the plant prior to that critical uptake period that usually happens there when that corn goes from about knee high to over your head in a two-week period there in june so i want to make sure i'm kind of front loading this corn to match that up also considering a lot of folks try to get sulfur in there at the same time, utilizing AMS and trying to get a little bit of nitrogen with that and, and the sulfur need that they have and just trying to match that up with, with when I feel like we're likely going to get the rainfalls to drive that in. So that's why I probably push to be a little more aggressive and get out there a little bit earlier than maybe some of the older conventional wisdom of trying to maybe target like a right prior to V10 timing or something just trying to to put the cards more in our favor as far as getting more good out of that. 
So just to put it uh, simply, West Central Missouri has a ton of corn where it looks like we got almost every kernel up that's cranking along. And it would be advantageous for us with the commodity prices the way they are. Don't stop spending the money now on on getting out there and trying to maximize the potential in that crop because there's a lot of potential sitting out there right now. All right, gentlemen, anything that you guys would like to add on the topic of soybeans, things we're thinking about for next week still? Yeah, be one thing I just wanted to mention with soybean stand assessments. So didn't have a ton of soybeans planted there the last week of April, but there were some and some of those little bit questionable stands or maybe we'll get in a wet period here too and we don't know what we'll have. So just quickly, being sure you know how to assess soybean stands. So 30 inch rows, obviously with corn, we do one one thousandth of an acre, which is basically 17 foot, five inches. Soybeans, obviously 30 inch rows, you do the same thing. If you have 15 inch rows, you do the same length, count two rows. When it comes to assessing stands behind a drill, I just like to use a hula hoop. I think that works a lot better. But when it comes to actual numbers, so where do we want to be at? There's some data from Purdue that says if you're greater than 66,000, you should leave it. There's some data that's from Wisconsin that says basically if it's in the 50s, you should leave it. I'm a little bit more conservative, I guess I'd say, than that. I usually just use the number of 100,000. If I'm below 100,000, then I start assessing how uniform that stand is. And if it's an even 80, I'll take that. Uh, but I start getting less than the 80, and I start worrying about that. I'm probably going to thicken that up. So the other question becomes, you know, how do I go about it if I have to replant soybeans? I think most everybody knows by now we don't tear out a soybean stand. You know, it's all about light capture as quick as we can with soybeans. So we thicken up a stand. We never tear it out or never spray it out. So how much do we want to put on? Well, kind of a rough rule of thumb maybe to think about is you want to target a stand of 140,000. You kind of got to compensate Abby for how much you're going to tear out with the planter that you're rolling across there. Uh, you're going to tear some out. You're going to run over some. So you kind of factor that in. But you would want a kind of a final stand of 140. So uh, when it comes to thickening up a stand, to me, especially like say if you drill soybeans, they don't all come up that well. 30-inch planter works pretty darn good to just go across there, especially at an angle to thicken that back up. Uh, the last thing I would just add is the fact that, you know, some people think, wow, you know, 100,000 or 80,000, that's awful low. But if you ever count a soybean stand at the end of the season, it does a pretty good job of thinning itself down. And a lot of times you'll come up with around 100,000 at the end of the year. Uh, regardless of how many you started the year with. So just one thing I wanted to mention, Abby, the other quick thing would be mare's tail control. So we still have some soybeans that have not been burnt down, some soybean acres, mare's tail is getting really big. And I think it's that we're at the point now where you got to pull the big guns out, in my opinion. And so something, if you're enlist soybeans, enlist plus Liberty, uh, which Liberty's in short supply. So if you can get it, that's going to be a pretty expensive treatment. Otherwise, if you don't have the option for that, in the past, Liberty and Syncor has worked fairly well too. But again, the Liberty is pretty hard to come by. So then your next best option is probably a three-way mixture. And it's probably something like Grimoxone, Syncor, and Sharpen, if you can mix all three of those together. But the moral of the story is, is the, the bigger that mare's tail gets, the more money you have to spend to totally take it out, which should make you think that next year, maybe I should either go to a fall herbicide, which is the best way to control mare's tail, and if I can't do that, then I need to make every last potential effort to get it sprayed as early in the spring as possible. Yeah, that's a good call out, Nick. There's still some fields like that in west central Missouri too. So, 
yeah, fall program is the way to go. You're just eliminating some of the logistics you have to deal with in the spring, and those fall programs hold in there very well. Um, it's it's money well spent. When you run in the mare's tail disasters, you're you're going to end up spending more than that trying to rescue that. So definitely keep that in mind. Lots of good things to consider here, folks. I think we've packed about as much as we can into a 25 or so minute episode. With that said, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you've gotten some relevant and timely information out of today's content. If you have any suggestions or topics you'd like us to uh, cover, as always, reach out to us at abby.birds at pioneer.com. For more episodes like this one, Search for Missouri Pioneer Agronomy or any combination of those words wherever you find your podcasts. We will see you in the field and uh, talk at you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.